All right, hello, welcome to Adventures in Lollygagging. We are back to playing Delta Green tonight. Don't worry, Steven. Yes, you interrupted me, but I had you muted, so no one knew until I just said that now. Uh, as you can see, few of us have put a lot of effort and work into cosplaying our characters, uh, and then the rest of them haven't. So uh, Steven looks amazing. He'll be playing Steve Jobs tonight. Uh, meanwhile, uh, I had my pupils dilated and my screen hurts my eyes. Uh, that's not true. I actually can't really see my screen that well, so I'm going to have to switch these off, but hopefully you can kind of see some of my notes and things. Anyhow, uh, you guys ready? You guys ready for some Delta Green? Oh yeah. 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 Excited. Yeah. Let's do yeah. it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I couldn't get, uh, Derek on here, but maybe we can get schedules to align properly in the future. Uh, but we're going to start up a brand new scenario tonight. Uh, we have some returning characters. We have a new character. Uh, we have, this one's going to be an actual arc dream Delta green scenario, as opposed to the first, uh, our prologue and hypoluxa that I put together. So, um, so things will be a little different this time. So don't expect such a big punch in the mouth. It'll be a little bit more of a slow burn. Uh, and then you get punched in the mouth. Uh, and that's, that's kind of how it's going to be. Um, so anyone have any questions? We, should we do like a banter or something? Should we, what was it? Shit. On, we were talking about shit on a shingle. We anyone, were. We were. Anyone yep. here? Eat? And chipped beef. And chipped beef. Like chipped beef just sounds like a weird phrase, but. I yeah. Know. I didn't know chipped beef was a thing, but I've had no. shit on a shingle. Google is our friend when I don't know what <laughs> mm -hmm. things are and I look it up and then I know something and then I forget it like a day later. And and Google is extraordinarily reliable. It never gives you uh, inaccurate information or information that has been sponsored. This banter was a lot better before stream, guys. Maybe we should start <laughs> over from the beginning. Yeah, we're going we're to take two. We're going to take two. It was really funny. But, uh, yeah. Wait, we should All go right. back to long flirting with you. All right, everybody shut up. Everybody shut up. All right, we're going to start. Okay. All right, we open, we see a, that dark screen. We are, I don't know, what is that, about 16, 17 months from our, the events uh, in Hypoluxo, Florida. And we open on a kind of a, a, a black screen, a transition. It almost looks like we're watching television. Uh, we hear the sounds of applause and uh, like really upbeat music. Uh, it's like something out of a, like a, of a talk show. Uh, and, uh, suddenly we hear a very familiar voice and, uh, and I want to stress, I'm not good at impressions and it's, a uh, our last guest today, uh, is an acclaimed author, professor and dog lover, Do dog lover. Is that right? Did we really, did we really put that in here? Was there nothing else? Nothing else we could put in there? No? Okay. Anyhow, whose new novel, uh, Storm Surge, is surging up the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, please welcome Deacon Ellis. What? Declan Ellis. I'm so very sorry. Uh, so, so as the crowd starts to uh, clap, we see the set of Regis and Kelly live. We see like this, this sort of studio setting, these cushioned chairs. We see Regis and Kelly kind of sitting on these kind of high chairs in a way, like, like they're kind of sitting up on stools. Uh, and we see coming out from the side of the stage, uh, we see a familiar face, uh, though dressed slightly differently and whose garb is a little bit more refined. Uh, we see Declan Ellis. So, Stephen, tell us what Declan looks like now. 
Becklin is a taller man, very pale. He doesn't go outside very much uh, with thinning blonde hair that he keeps uh, pulled back. And he usually dresses a little more academic, but he wanted to be uh, a little more refined, like you said, for his television debut. Uh, so he's wearing a tactical turtleneck. So it's somewhere in August, late like late August, early first couple of first couple of episodes of Regis and Kelly Live. Uh, we've got there's a, a series of other other guests that have already come on, and as as Declan, you take your seat on t- on this this empty stool. Uh, you can see like Kelly gets up, kind of gives you a little hug, kind of kisses you on the cheek here and there. You see Regis reaches out, grabs her hand, gives you a very limp handshake, surprisingly limp. Uh, but none of this, you know, he sits down. The crowd's still kind of going crazy a little bit. Not that anyone really recognizes you to some degree. We see a screen on the back behind everybody that has a picture of your novel. Storm Search, what does the cover look like? of the novel there, Declan. There is, uh, it's a tsunami pouring over a school basically. And the school is covered in vines. Okay. Okay. And so there's some, some basic banter back and forth to start this off. And at a certain point, like Regis gets, uh, gets kind of impatient. He kind of gets his hands up the way he used to do that all the time, kind of moves around here and there. So, so anyway, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? I was talking to my good friend Stephen King the other day. Do you know him? Do you know him? And he's kind of looking at you, Declan. Do you know him? Have you, have, I've have, heard have of you him. Know? I've read one no. or two of his books, yeah. Huh? Well, anyway, I told him uh, that I keep hearing these wonderful things about this book, Storm Surge. Did I get that right? Storm Surge? Yeah. Storm anyway, Surge, yes. Anyway, yeah. Stephen told me that it's the best storm-related horror fiction that he's uh, that he's seen in the last two or three years. And he knows a thing or two about horror, you know? Uh, so anyway, that's high praise. That's high praise. So Deacon, give us the pitch. So Storm Surge. Uh, now, let me preface this by saying I'm a historian. I'm a scholar. So I don't write fiction very often. This is my very first fiction novel. You're, you're so, a history professor? Because it did say professor on the intro. We could have put historian or scholar on there instead of dog lover. Why didn't we put that there? Well, if you saw my dog, you'd understand. He's adorable. Anyways. Uh, this book, uh, it just, I was in lockdown during a hurricane. I was an adjunct professor in Florida, and they have you go to these elementary schools with the, you know, large brick walls and no windows. The few windows they have are boarded up. And while I was just sitting there, the, the story just came to me like magic. It, it was just inspiration. Uh, I see Kelly, I, she's I was, just nodding and smiling and just sort of staring at you with this, this these dead eyes. Just kind of looking, you know, honestly, I am always just amazed at uh, the craziness that novelists like you kind of cook up in those weird brains. I know this is this is probably a silly question, but how do you get your ideas? You know, like, where do they come from? You know, as if she didn't well, listen the, to anything you just said. That was the crazy thing. You know, normally I get my ideas from researching, you know, pouring over old uh, scrolls and ancient vellums, you know, the the boring stuff this time i i was in a school cafeteria and it just it came to me you know it, it just out of nowhere it, it it basically fell into my lap and the rest is history i see see that's uh that's uh that's wonderful you see uh i've been hearing he's getting a lot of praise 
a lot of praise. You see, uh, I saw I saw Dwight Gardner. You know, you know Dwight Gardner, right? New York Times bestseller. Yeah, uh, of New York Times critic. You know, you know him, right? You met him, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. Right here in New York City, right up the road, actually, and uh, fabulous writer in his own right. Fabulous writer. Did I tell you, Kelly? Did I tell you? As he kind of looks over, completely ignores Declan. Did I tell you, Kelly, about the time I bumped into Dwight at JFK? Can you believe this? Quite literally. I'm walking out of the men's room. I think it was Terminal Four, and I bumped into the man. I spilled a, one of them. One of them. What are those? Those those, those uh, bottled frappuccinos? Like all over his shirt. All over his shirt. Anyway, Declan, Mister Garner here. He told me that, and he kind of picks up a sheet. And he's kind of reading off this one of those blue cards. But apparently, your uh, you know, your your work is punctuated, and he's kind of puts his glasses on by colorful verbosity, characteristic of a writer desperate to immerse the reader. So uh, whatever the hell that means. And he kind of looks over to you to kind of clarify. That may not be the way I would phrase it, but I think what he was trying to say is that once you start reading my book, you just can't put it down. You're just stuck in the story and you'll you'll read through it in one sitting. It's that good. And just see, just see Kelly, just c- again, continuing to look at you, these dead eyes, not paying attention to a word you're saying. Well, I have a little surprise. See, Regis misspoke about Declan being our last guest. We have one more guest today. Everybody give a warm welcome to Merlin. And you see like this little stage hand is like walking out and there's Merlin on a leash kind of walking out in front of the stage. Everyone's kind of clapping, going crazy. Oh, goodness. Oh, what is this? And everyone's kind of and suddenly Declan, you're just sitting on this stool and Merlin is getting love from Kelly, getting love from Regis, who's down there, just kind of ruffling his ruffling his fur a bit, and and no one's paying attention to you, which is probably a good thing because your your pocket starts to vibrate, and it vibrates and it vibrates, and it's not your normal phone because your your normal phone you you turn to silent. It's a different phone. Kind of take it out and take a take a look at it. You look. See, there's a there's see, there's a message, text message, SMS says a time 9 p.m. and an address 14th Avenue, Borough Park, Brooklyn. Well, Regis, uh, I, I told you when you saw the dog, you would understand, you know, he, he's gorgeous. Uh, and you know what? It's crazy. I, I'm feeling inspired for another story. I have a feeling that I will have a new book out for you uh, here in just a few months. And it's interesting because you're like, you realize at this point, you're looking, as you're looking around, no one's actually reacting to you. And you can see all the cameras are kind of pointed over at Merlin and at Regis and Kelly. Off? And as you look down at your mic, you see, and everyone, and everyone's just kind of waving you off from behind the cameras. And then suddenly you hear Regis and Kelly just saying, well, we just want to give a big thank you to our favorite guest Merlin here. We're going to see you tomorrow, bright and early, Regis and Kelly live. Uh, thank you to the rest of our guests. And he starts listing everybody and doesn't mention you. And we kind of fade out of that as Declan walks off of the stage at this point. Uh, and it takes a while for you to even get Merlin, like as Merlin is just kind of doing these rounds and everyone's petting him and, people kind of give you odd looks as you try to be like, Hey, that's my dog. I'm like, are you sure? Uh, I think he was one of the, the guest dogs. Yeah, he here. came with me. He came with me. I, I brought him. And at a, at a certain point we do, 
you do finally get Merlin back. It's kind of an hour or two later. You get let out of the studio. Uh, no one really comes and says goodbye to you. You have copies of your book that you're supposed to kind of be giving out. There's a big old box there. It's hasn't, no one's really done anything with, they were supposed to go to the audience, but they weren't uh, disseminated. I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, someone, I, I was supposed to have some FaceTime with Regis after the interview. I, I was going to tell him my mom went to oh, Notre I'm Dame sorry. like he did, you know, like Regis doesn't talk off air. It's like a thing with him. Oh uh, yeah. He says, save it for the, uh, sa save it for camera. You know, that's what he says all the time. I mean, I, I did save it for camera, but then like the camera Were you on? moved. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I was oh. on. Uh, that was my book. Here, you can have a copy. Uh, it's signed. I'm not really a First reader, edition. to be honest. Uh, New York really Times like, bestseller. I mean, that's really not that hard. That's really just a marketing gimmick, right? That's okay, what I now, hear. Like, you don't have to be rude. You know, I was just on your show. Like, you know. Okay, well, anyway, uh, thank you for coming in. And, oh, here, do you want someone to give you a hand with this box out to your taxi? You know what? I got it. I got it. Just, can you hand over the dog? Uh, sure. Okay. Well, goodbye. Goodbye, Merlin. Goodbye. Kind of hands over Merlin to you. And we see Declan go up to this door, this exit door. He's got a box of your novels underneath your, your armpit here. You've got Merlin down on his leash walking. You push open the door. We get the, the bright light of day and we kind of flash back for a moment and we see as like the the sound of the door slams behind you. We see like the, we see like this sort of montage of, of series of things that have kind of happened to Declan. We see this rolling green elementary. We see the, the giant dead woman that you found. You see the, the fight in the halls, the tentacles, the yield. Like you have a, have one of those, have one of those uh, turtlenecks kind of up around your neck. And for a moment it kind of shifts down and we can see a little scar, a little wearing left over, where one of these those eel creatures like reached up and grabbed you and nearly choked you and pulled you down. Uh, we see you fleeing to Publix with Lisa Young. We see you fiddling with like this etched pipe you stole and these uh, files that you kind of eventually tucked under. What would we say, Declan, between the Declan we saw at the end of Hypoluxo and the Declan we just saw walk out of the studio for Regis and Kelly? What has what has Declan been doing in this time? So he's probably been very much slacking on his adjunct professor uh, job, uh, calling out quite a bit, uh, basically just quitting uh, to focus on uh, his next book and to also start studying all these files from Delta Green that he got, uh, trying to pour over anything he can with these runes on the pipe, just trying to make sense of it all. Uh, I think it started for obviously like inspiration for a new book but then as he dug deeper and deeper he's kind of getting hooked you know like this is a whole section of research that he didn't even know existed he always hoped he could stumble onto something like this you know be the first person mm -hmm. to you know make their name on this so it, it really is uh addictive for him to just pour over every single detail if you're unfamiliar with Elta Green like we're kind of shifting into uh home scene personal pursuit and so Declan you chose study the unnatural so surprisingly Ronnie Lightside no one else in suits and dark glasses came to your home to steal them back whatever it is that you had now you did go through some of those files you did kind of look at this pipe the 
the files themselves were like there were definitely a lot of operation files in there you but most of them were either partially or fully redacted uh the ones that were partially redacted the information left over was was really just lo- locations never really the name of a person here or there but you you do get some operation names that kind of caught your attention and almost as if they might have forgotten to redact those names out but there the name operation sorrow pops up there's something about majestic that you kept seeing over and over and over again all cap as if it was some sort of proper noun you also and as part of like the the file pack that you that you took from ronnie lightside's uh storage storage facility also had a bunch of research that didn't seem to be case files uh you're not sure if it was you know ronnie who did this work or if it was somebody else but you kind of kind of went down and fell down a rabbit hole regarding something called the Gaudi shape, uh, G-O-W-D-I-E. It seemed to reference an object, this uh, strange green metal, the decahedron, has some kind of historical ties uh, to a Scottish witch who was executed in the 17th century. And as a historian yourself, like you probably kind of sort of lap that, that up quite a bit, um, you found amongst the files like this uh, this this study, this uh, anonymous monograph that was published about the object in 1977. Uh, there's no name associated with it, no authorial name, but it was put out by Miskatonic University. And there were a bunch of these high quality photos. And the monograph was like really obsessed with like the dimensions and the composition, like the materials composition of it. Uh, it's still incomplete. There's still no explanation of what this thing does or did or what it's related to specifically. But as you, the more and more you start digging into it, the more and more that whatever obsession might've been driving Ronnie started to kind of leak a little bit over into Declan as well. Uh, and so that will say that's what you get so far. Go ahead and give us a roll for a D four. Give us a D four. as part of studying the natural is that you reduce one of your bond scores as you spend more and more time on awful things. Uh, that is two. And who did you, uh, who, who did, who suffered as a, as a result of this time spent on the unnatural? I think it would make sense that my historian colleague, uh, Rosemary Cates, uh, she's someone that I used to work very closely with. Uh, and I relied very heavily on her research for my first book. Uh, now that I'm, learning all these things i would not be helping her as much assisting her or working with her uh just kind of pushing her off because i'm not as interested in the stuff that she's doing anymore okay and so we see maybe phone calls go unanswered emails not replied to that sort of thing reminders about classes that you promised to teach but apparently just forgot to do you didn't even notify here and there. And a lot of those emails are, are some of them are like concerned, like, are you okay? Is everything just get back to me? And others are, are angry. Uh, and we'll say that um, we'll kind of close down on Declan for a bit. We're going to kick over then to Lisa Young, uh, who, if you watch the prologue, you know, was not originally a character uh, no. <laughs> that was meant to be played. But through the course of that uh, adventure, became one that we quite enjoyed. So we'll say we start off uh, at a train station. It's 2011 still. That's where this uh, scenario takes place, August. 
We see a train station with scattered folks. We see the word Ronkonkoma curving over this archway through which Lisa Young, her daughter Jamie, who we would recognize, suddenly emerge. Two of you load a, a pair of suitcases into this waiting cab. You climb into the back seat and you drive across Long Island traffic. Uh, there's a, about a half dozen or so aggressive lane changes and last second turns and Shortly thereafter, you unload at this aged split-level home in a surprisingly green and lush neighborhood uh, on Long Island. Uh, we see a woman open the door uh, that's carved into the brick of this home. Uh, what does she look like, Lisa, and who is she? So at the door is my Aunt Vivian. Uh, she is my mother's sister. And... For those of you who weren't aware, uh, Lisa's mom, Elizabeth, passed away in the intro. Uh, it was pretty horrific. Very, very nice way of putting that. Passed yeah. away. Yeah. Just peacefully. She, she definitely was not eaten or exploded, a combination of the two. Um, but Vivian, she's a very posh lady. Uh, she's got this very nice polo shirt on that she's got tucked into her like tennis skirt. Um, she's obviously just been out, you know, at her country club or wherever she's been for the day. And uh, Lisa goes to greet her like, Hey, Aunt Viv. And before she can even finish her sentence, Jamie's got her in a hug around her, mm -hmm. uh, around her waist and, just kind of kinda squeezing like her here forgotten. and there, mm -hmm. spilling her cocktail slightly on top of Jamie as she's like holding on to this here uh -oh. and there. Uh, so how how has Jamie changed or how has Lisa changed? Because when we last saw Lisa, Lisa was kind of a, a sort of a relatively scrawny, overworked grocery store clerk uh, yeah. or like she ran the cashier. Uh, but we also saw her stab a dude, uh, pick up a gun. Uh, and yeah. kind of lead a, a group of survivors out from, uh, you know, Rolling Green Elementary. So has Lisa, like in terms of what we see, like instead of like the that sort of scattered looking, scattered brain looking woman, uh, young mother, has she changed at all? Do we see a she difference She still in looks pretty harried, uh, especially without having the assistance of her mom. But she's to the point to where you can tell that she's putting in an effort to step up and correct her wrongs. Um, her wardrobe now is kind of this morbid uh, mix of her mother's old business clothes that fit her, as well as like some pieces that she's thrifted or whatever. So it doesn't necessarily, it's not like full sets of things that she's gotten, but they, they look nice. Um, a little wrinkled. She, like she doesn't own an iron or anything, but she's trying. You can see she's trying. So... And how how is the relationship going between Lisa and Jamie? As we'll say, we're we're watching now as like you and Vivian and Jamie are kind of starting to push into the house a little bit. Again, you're kind of forgotten. They're not really talking to you. Uh, but how would we say the relationship has been between Lisa and Jamie at this point? Since the trauma that Jamie has suffered as she Lisa was there. Has, yeah, Lisa has difficulties letting Jamie out of her sight now. It makes her very anxious. Mm -hmm. Um, and Jamie, it's a mix. She kind of surprisingly seems sort of unaffected. Like she kind of forgot most of the events that had happened, 
Mm-hmm. But then she has these horrific nightmares where she wakes up screaming, clawing at her face. And so Lisa and Jamie often sleep together kind of codependently just to make sure that Jamie doesn't hurt herself. Um, okay. And she brought this up with Vivian and that's caused Vivian a lot of concerns, um, which kind of prompted this, this trip. So we'll say then like through a series of, of different moments, like dropping a suitcase there, dropping a suitcase over here, Vivian, you could tell she's, she's knocked a few back. And she's sort of pushing the duties of of cooking and preparing on you, despite being the host. Uh, you kind of start looking around some of her cabinets. She doesn't necessarily have everything that you need, uh, but you grab the keys uh, for her car and you kind of venture mm-hmm. off down the street a bit to a, a local grocer. You're going to see Lisa kind of going through it, and you and you start feeling like your your phone starts going crazy like it was catching up like you've been on a flight and you just you hear and you open it up and we see uh we see as we, like in the in the tracking of the messages we see a, a fellow named Cody and we see as they're coming in almost aggressively but we know that mm-hmm. they probably were spaced but we like you know safe flight text me when you get in how was the flight? Did you did you get hit by that storm front? Did you guys did you guys get your luggage okay? Did you did you find a cab? Like did you find your way onto the train? You know, the LIR can be kind of confusing and like stuff like that. Just just constantly going. And then like, how's Vivian? And the most recent one was, Hello, are you okay? Are you alive? And so we, we just see this like series of text messages. But as you're watching the text messages mm-hmm. from Cody come in, you see a second one like a different series of messages pop up. And this one just says Publix on it. And, you know, you haven't worked at Publix for quite some time. But when you open it up, you can see there is a time listed, 9 p.m. And you can see there is a dress as well, 14th Avenue in Borough Park, Brooklyn. What does Lisa do as like, we'll say you're in literal line to check out with your groceries in your cart when you get this message, how does Lisa react? Uh, what time is it versus like the time that's listed on there? Uh, we'll call it like middle of the afternoon. So you have some out, you have some time. So we'll say it's like okay. three o'clock or so. You probably took an early flight coming up from Florida. You probably got out of there pretty early. Uh, and so you have a, probably five, six hours or so before this time. Okay. So she just kind of, she goes to pocket her phone, but then she remembers all of the messages that she had from Cody. And she kind of sighs because she's annoyed that she just got all of these messages at once. And she just sends him back one text message that says, hey, arrived. Uh, service is spotty. Doesn't sign it with love you like she normally does. And she just kind of tosses it into the bottom of her purse and continues through the checkout line. And so what would we say was Lisa's personal pursuit as she gets one since she was technically a survivor of the yeah. first round? So what would we say she's doing? She's been fulfilling did? responsibilities. Okay. Um, she's just kind of been really focusing on Jamie and making sure that she's okay, um, that she's being a better mom than she was being. Mm-hmm. Um, she's trying to be involved with Lisa's after school activities. Sure. Um, just really 
moving forward. Okay, give us a sanity test for that, it looks like, for fulfilled responsibilities. Okay. And I got uh, a 21. And under, I that should be a success, I think. 21. Yeah, I needed a 60. Okay, roll a d6. And you're going to improve your bond score with Jamie by that number. Ooh, four. Okay. Uh, it wasn't a critical... Okay. Uh, so, yeah. So, we'll say that it's actually gone decently well. Like, you've done your job despite all of the craziness of the past year and a half or so, despite some of the counseling sessions you've had to sit through, either through the mm -hmm. school or just sort of privately hired, despite the fact that you've made a career change that I mean, you suspect was, was orchestrated uh, by certain connections you made uh, as mm -hmm. you have shifted from being just a Publix cashier assistant manager to actually getting into that FEMA pro program management and of, uh, things have things despite some chaos and despite the frazzled nature of Lisa, there's a lot of things to point to if things have been moving in, the, in a positive direction for Lisa. Yeah. We're going to cut then. And I have no idea what this is going to be because some people that you see on the screen didn't give me the information. So long what the hell's going on with Luca? Where is Luca right now? Luca is back in the tri-state area. He's focusing on his work. Very just front forward now. It's just work, work, work. It's all drug investigations, cartels, arrest. It's really trying to get his mind distracted. And he's pretty much capturing these low uh, criminals, drug dealers. He's trying to get his connections back, trying to get mm -hmm. higher into the network. Okay. That's what he's been doing. Are you still with Mark? Uh, as we know, Samantha Thomas uh, did not make it out. But your other partner, Mark something, uh, I can't remember the last name, but Mark, uh, who, who kind of started to lose it a little bit and was attacked by Lisa, uh, egged on by Ronnie Lightside. Uh, are you still working with him? So he's stayed in Florida. Well, I had to get the hell out of Dodge. So I went back to the North side. Okay. I mean, how, and how did the, the fact that one of your partners died and a, uh, a, a potential criminal in your custody also died. Uh, how did that go over with your, you know, your DA, DEA outfit in Florida? It did not go well. I had to do, Pretty much covering up the incident, putting it lying in the reports, a lot of paperwork. So what happened in this area mm -hmm. and that just got me clogged up, not feeling like I'm fit for the job. And I picked up, I ended up picking up a disorder from the whole incident, which gave me hydrophobia. So whenever it rains, heavy rain, heavy flooding, it just oh, puts me in an anxiety mood. So I had to get out of Florida because that's pretty much the constant weather. And I mean, right now you're probably not feeling that great either because it's actually it's raining a little bit and there's storms, there's a storm front on the horizon. It's late summer, New York. Uh, it's kind of humid, muggy. Um, you also are right on the coast, depending on where you are on New York. You might even be on an island right now. Uh, so what, what would we say Luca is doing like literally the moment when his, his sort of text message goes off, when his, when his phone goes off? 
he'd be getting ready to pick up a drug drop. There, you got info, tips, a tip off that there's a drug deal happening. Okay. And he's trying to capture who's putting that substance for the drop off. Okay. We'll say, uh, we'll say Queens cause I like, uh, I like making references to Queens. Uh, you're, you're, you've kind of, you're, you're on some sort of, uh, you, you still got your trio, right? You still got two other partners with you. It could be temporary or it could be permanent, but you're out of the new, are you out of like a New York branch now? Like you've completely relocated up here. Yeah. I don't want to work too close to home. Since okay. I might get my family involved. Do we have names for your partners? Yeah, I actually have one. That's my bond. His name was Tobias. Okay. All right. So he has Tobias. One. Yep. And what's the other one? His name will be Davis. Davis. Okay. All right. And so we'll say you're in a you're in some sort of unmarked sedan on the street of Queens. Little rain begins to fall, and then a lot of rain begins to fall as the sky kind of opens up in this deluge. How's Luca and handling that? This puts me it's very heavy breathing. Sweat starts to build. Mm-hmm. My partners noticely they notice. Like, can you guys take this one? And I just. Uh, how long have you been working with Tobias and Davies? Uh, like Tobias is one of your bonds, right? So yeah, so he's he came in me with the force when we first joined. Okay, and but Davis is new. Davis, Davis is a new, new one. Yeah. Okay. So D- Tobias might be a little bit more forgiving, but Davis might basically from the backseat. What the fuck are you talking about, man? What is your problem? I, I just can't do this one. You can't do this one. You can't do this one. You think we do this every fucking day? How many weeks have we put months? Have we put in this and you're just going to f- man? Are you serious? Toby, seriously, this guy, what the fuck is this man? So I will say that as you're kind of, you're panicking a bit to a bit, Tobias is sort of responding here and there. You feel your leg begin to vibrate. Uh, it's just vibrating and vibrating almost to the point where like it starts to numb. You zone out a bit as the rain is hitting and hitting to the point where you can't even see you're breathing so heavily that the interior of the car is kind of starting to fog a bit. And then you're suddenly startled as the doors slam. And you see that you're in the car alone as both Tobias and Davis have stepped out of the car. So at this point, you're able to look down and you look at the the message on your uh, on your phone. And just like described to Declan and Lisa, it's the exact same message. A time, 9 p.m., a location, 14th Avenue, Borough Park, Brooklyn. Uh, it's 2011, so we're not doing like pin drops and stuff like that, but you have a specific address. What was Luca's personal pursuit over the past year and a half? What would we say he was trying to accomplish? Be improve skills or stats. Okay. So I would. Yeah, I can pick two stats to try to improve on. And I was going to go with my POW because it is okay. at an eight. It is and that particularly low. <laughs> it gives me the feature or the of being easily distracted. So I wanted to try to improve on that. Okay. By like meditating, listening to like jazz music, trying to soothe myself. We see you literally just reach out, touch the console of the car right now as a panic begins to set in. We hear this jazz music begin to orchestrate. Is it like good jazz or is it like elevator jazz? A good jazz. 
Okay. So good jazz begins to come on. Uh, okay. So let's see, you need to, uh, so it's a pal test, right? Uh, you attempt a, ta- yeah. a test of the stat times five. Uh, so go ahead and pal times five. So you got to beat what a 40. Yes. Give it a rip. Let us know how you do. Let's see. I roll a three. So that's good. Three is very good. So if the test fails, uh, let's see. Uh, well, no, you pass. I'm sorry. If that fails, you add 36% points. Um, I guess it's only if you fail. Oh, so that's unfortunate. I passed a really low check, which doesn't give (laughs) me that improvement. (laughs) Uh, so if the test fails, you add 3d6 percentage points to the skill or one point to the stat. Each increase to a stat or skill reduces one bond by one as you let responsibilities last. So yeah, this is actually one of the situations where you wanted to fail, I think. Uh, I'll still give you 1d6. So, uh, well, actually, no, I'll still give you, I'll I'll still trade you one point to the stat, uh, but I'll, in this case, let's reduce a bond by by two as opposed to by one. Okay. That'll be the trade. Okay. All right. Anything else for Luca? I think it's two, right? You get a second one, right? Is there, or what? No, one stat. You can do one stat and one skill, or two skills or stats. So you have one more that you can do a skill or a stat. What else would Luca be trying to accomplish in this time? Let's do dodge training. Okay. So he would pick up uh, boxing. Okay. Which increases dexterity. So this is probably happening in the past or like we would kind of see you at a, like a boxing gym nearby or like the something like that. Uh, so go ahead and roll your, your skill test for dodge. You're looking again, you're looking to fail. That's, that's the goal. There we go. 82. All right. Roll 3d6. Add that to your skill. And because you're increasing another, there's going to be one more reduction to one of your bonds. Okay. I got. 12 added to that. And so my bonds, uh, Tobias would feel the pressure here since he's my DEA partner. I'm not fulfilling my responsibilities. Yeah. And you can kind of see him as like your meditation begins to kick in as the fog within the car starts to settle. You can see him and Davis on the edge, like getting ready to breach a door. And he's kind of looking at you, kind of shaking his head. And we'll kind of fade out of there and we will open up on somewhere entirely new. Uh, Melissa, tell us who we see. Tell us where we see them and what the hell they're doing. Yeah, so uh, for this, uh, you will be in Central Park, New York. So you see uh, a tallish woman with kind of curly blonde hair, uh, white shirt, tight jeans, espadrille wedges, overdressed a bit for kind of her outfit with kind of the jewelry and the makeup and all of that. And she is laughing and deep in conversation uh, with another woman next to her. So I am this time around uh, Maggie Everly, who is on a girl's trip uh, to New York city uh, with her college sorority sister, Chelsea. And they are walking through central park Um, where in just a day or two is going to be the start of the Central Park Film Festival. So that's what they are uh, in New York City for. So they are just kind of in conversation, kind of as you come up on them. 
And so as you're walking through uh, Mm -hmm. and you're kind of laughing and everything's great, light rain begins to fall a bit, but you feel your phone start going off a bit. You feel it sort of sort of vibrating. Uh, It could be in your pocket. Maybe it's in a bag you might have wherever it might be. It's not just you don't just feel it, but you hear it. That kind of really awkward sound. And your friend kind of looks over like, Maggie, this was our weekend. No work. That was the agreement. No work. Yeah, yeah, I know. But it it might be it might be uh, it might be Morgan. It could be Morgan. I mean, does that make it better? Because I don't think that makes it better. You know, I'm trying to work on my relationship with her. She doesn't, you know, she always goes to Brian. She never talks to me and it could be her. And, you know, I'm trying to be trying to be better. Should be present. Let me take a look. You should be. Don't worry about better. Worry about present. You're here with me, and yet you're miles. You're miles away. And she just kind of walks off at that point, a little pissed off. You pull your phone out, and much like we've seen elsewhere, we see a time, nine p.m. We see an address. Uh, Was this the first time Maggie's got a text message like this before? Was has there been other times that Maggie might have gotten something like this? So what Maggie actually gets is Mm. a words with friends notification. Okay. And so that's what she sees is a, um, there's a notification from word nerd 616. (laughs) Okay. Words are for nerds. And so when she gets into the words with friends app, that's where she sees the message. Okay. And so when we sort of kind of pull back from there, you see your friend has, has walked well up in front. You can see like you're in central park, right? Yes. You said that, right. You can see that they've, they've managed to find some sort of cover for the rain. They're talking with somebody else here and there's just some random person who's also happens to be caught underneath. And when, as we kind of zoom in on you, we'll say, like we, we kind of focus in on your face as you're watching. Like, is does does Maggie get like upset? Like, do you see like does she get upset, concerned? Does her facial expression change as she reads through this particular message? Yeah. Um, because it's been a little bit. She's gotten these before. She she knows the deal. She knows the app. She knows the notification. She okay. knows what it means, but it had been a little bit. And so she'd kind of been out of the habit of the cover stories and and all of those things so it's definitely a like ah shit she's not gonna like this okay and so we don't necessarily have to play out the specific scene we just watch as maggie you approach your friend you kind of tell them and there's just like this argument back and forth you can see the people nearby the onlookers are doing the classic shying away like an embarrassment over this and other folks that just don't care whatsoever. We'll say we fade out of there uh, as Maggie doesn't get a personal pursuit. When we come back, it's uh, it's nighttime and we are in Brooklyn. We see, uh, we see some traffic. It's probably a little past uh, about half past eight, maybe just before nine. Uh, we are kind of moving down and we see foot, both foot traffic, some, we see some, a few cars in the street, but it's, it's, it's kind of much heavier foot track traffic. There's lights here and there and some of the 
more popular uh, streets. But as we drift down and follow to the intersection to 14th Park, or excuse me, 14th Avenue, Borough Park, we see, of all things, a Burger King. It's it's certainly on. We can see the the lighted up like hamburger. We see the 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 symbol of, Bur- of Burger King itself. Uh, when we're li- like, no one's kind of in the drive through. If there is a drive through, we don't see anybody waiting at line. There's definitely people working. There's the sound of uh, of various fryers going and folks kind of talking and mingling in the back. No one's immediately standing behind the counter or by the register. None of the workers are visible. It's not a very clean place. It's certainly not kept up particularly well. Uh, and as like we scan around in the dark corner, we notice there's one customer and they're sitting by themselves. And it's a familiar looking man. Uh, his back in the corner. So it kind of has very clear sight lines of the two entrances that come into this Burger King. And he's sipping uh, from this what looks like a large uh, Burger King drink of some kind, dark liquid kind of goes up it. And you see he's periodically feeding himself uh, French fries. He's got gray white hair. Uh, he's got this tan sunburnt face, but it certainly doesn't seem as dark as it's been in the past. See these deep creases that might be scars, might be wrinkles. It's hard to really say. He's got this worn, almost nondescript blazer that's covering a much more tropical, colorful shirt. Um, we see Ronnie Lightside. Uh, he, uh, every so often, you can see him stretch his leg uh, and kind of reach down and feel it and kind of grimace a bit in pain. And uh, whenever he, he kind of moves it stiffly, he, he almost nudges this rolling suitcase uh, that has tags from JFK uh, in Atlanta. And the door opens up uh, on one side of the restaurant. And in we see the first person to come, Lisa Young, maybe eager, because it's one of it's the first time, who knows? And yeah, I'd ar- say this is her yeah. first. You look around, Lisa, uh, and there's really no one at the counter. You can occasionally see someone milling about here or there in the kitchen. Can't quite ever get their... You get their look, but you look over and you see the familiar face of Ronnie Lightside. He doesn't wave. He he notices you. You can tell that he notices you. He's got, you know, he's got like these glasses on. They're not sunglasses, but you can definitely tell they're they're sort of these tinted lenses, uh, and they're very thick rimmed. And you can tell just from the very very slightest bit of movement in his head that he he notices you. Uh, how does Lisa Young handle her approach? Um, she tries to be pretty cool about it where she goes up and she actually puts in an order. And okay. then as she's waiting for the order to be made, she sits in the booth behind him, just kind of like next to it to see if like. So he's in a corner. He's got the, his back to the walls. There's really nowhere behind him to sit, uh, but you can sit somewhere adjacent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then adjacent. Yeah. You can then. sit somewhat adjacent. Sure. So you kind of sit down. And there's a moment where you think he's grinning in a sort of a somewhat condescending fashion. And he's like, he kind of whispers to you, he's like, you really need to work on your trade craft, girl. Come on, Publix. Come on. Come sit down. <laughs> okay. And she's like, oh, okay. She's like, I, what is this? Uh, Well, this is a Burger King. 
That's what this is. And she just kind of like pinches the bridge of her nose and she's like, I earned that. Okay. And she just comes and sits down. <laughs> and he doesn't, he doesn't really say anything else. He just kind of sits there for a moment, still looking, briefly looks at his watch, which is just uh, kind of a, a tarnished looking Casio, like really generic looking watch. And he looks up. There's a slam of, of trays somewhere in the kitchen, but that's not what he looks at because he looks as the door slowly opens and we see the brilliance that is Declan G.W. Ellis walking in. Is he bringing Merlin with him to the meeting or is he just coming? No, he would be sans Merlin here. Uh, he would be bringing the box of books, uh, first edition signed hardcovers with him. Okay. Uh, and, he would come in and he would look at the counter and then see them just completely avoid the counter, go right to them, set down the box of books with a thud. Here, I brought you some copies. Lisa, I haven't seen you in a while. And you hear, you uh, just hear, you hear lights. I just clear his throat. <clears> Lisa's <throat> like, God, you could make it to book club. Thanks. And, she grabs that's worth one. a lot of money there that's $30 MSRP and it's signed save that it'll go up on eBay for 100 Ronnie do you get a chance to read it yet I feel like I was pretty nice to you oh I read it <laughs> and this is when pushed right up against the edge it. a few times there man well I mean I could I had to limit the characters so that Karen I mixed her with you you know just to save space you know there was a team at that interview this morning ready to take you out if you said something wrong Hey, hey, I follow protocol, man. I follow protocol. There's a team outside that recording studio when you were doing the interview for NPR last week as well. It's going to be a team. Did you catch that one? I thought, I thought that one went Everywhere. better than Regis, to be honest. I, I was excited about Regis, but the NPR, NPR one, that was pretty good. I thought you came across as overly verbose. Well, I'm glad you listened anyways. That means a lot. You're a good friend. Yeah, I start to like sit down in the booth. And you're like, ah, ah, as he's like wincing as it's like he's trying to move this like stiff, uh, this stiff leg. It's at that point that we see Luca Dante enter. Uh, what does Luca Dante look like these days? It's been again, it's been, um, I don't know, about 20 months or so, 22 months, something like that since uh, since the issues in, in Hypoluxa. Does he still have his curly hair and, and yeah, he still has curly locks? He okay. keeps his mustache intact. But he's got darker eyes now, a little bit baggy eyes. He's really okay. not sleeping well. All right. Walks in. He's off duty, so he's just got a regular shirt and jeans okay. on. All right. Is there like a, any sort of anything emblazoned on their shirt or is it just like super generic? It's one of those family pizzeria shirts. So he's like walking advertisement sort of thing. For your... Okay. <laughs> so you walk up. I, I see these guys. No, no, no. This, this is not a good group. This is trouble. And you hear, he just says DEA. And he kind of motions uh, next to where Lisa's sitting, a space for you. He's like, word of the wise here, maybe don't come to these types of meetings with your family shirt on. Uh, I, I turn it inside out. What? <laughs> you just yeah, take just, your shirt uh, off and turn <laughs> <laughs> and you just look back and Lightside just shaking his head. He's like, Oh my god. I'm getting too old for this shit. Just getting too old for this shit. And yeah, okay, there's just I, a three. You want a book? 
Uh, yeah, I'd love one, Declan. It's signed. It, it's worth a lot on eBay. Lisa pulls up her Don't phone. say thank you. It's fine. <laughs> and she, she Googles it on eBay, and it's worth like $9 right now. Okay. Well, that's what's listed. It, there, it's been listed that way in cycling no through bids. like every couple of weeks. No that's bids. just the yeah. opening bid. It'll go up once people start mm. bidding. Eh, I don't know. And then finally, the rest of you watch as the door opens up once more. And for the first time, we see somebody that you don't actually recognize. You see what we now know was Maggie Eberly walk in and blonde hair, a little wet, a little, you know, from, from the rain. Same with you, Luca. You can see there's still some spots as there's kind of loose rainfall that's been dropping here and there. Nothing too crazy. You can still see like it was, uh, it was sort of clearing up as Luca and Maggie came up. Uh, clouds are starting to, to peel back. We can see like the, you know, a little sliver of the moon pop up and a couple stars here and there, but it's not a great view. It's New York. It's very hard to really see anything at all. Uh, but the rest of you don't recognize her. Uh, so what does Maggie do? You are familiar with Ronnie, uh, or at least that's what he says his name is. Whether or not it's his real name, you suspect it's probably not. But you see him in the corner, he's talking to these other people that you have no familiarity with at all. Maggie's going to go up to the counter um, and she's going to order a drink. She's going to get herself a Diet Coke. And she's going to, kind of while she's going through this process, is going to kind of check out who else is at the table. So like she knows what she's there to do, but she um, wants to just sort of size up the other folks who were there before she actually kind of sits down at the table. Roll and a roll a human, by the way, while you're doing that. Go ahead, Lisa. When you're at the counter, though, Lisa like looks at Ronnie and she notices Ronnie kind of looking at you. So she very friendly goes, "Hey, girl, do you mind grabbing my fries when you come back?" <laughs> uh yeah, yeah, no, no problem. Um, so so this is fun. So I rolled a seventy-seven over sixty for my human. Okay, uh, you get, just looking at at the table, you get the very distinct impression that the man with the the glasses uh, with, is it is it a turtleneck? Is it a turtleneck, Declan? Yeah, it's the same same outfit he wore to the interview. He, he, he looks like he's a man who knows things. And he looks like a, he looks like a man of supreme intelligence and courage. Uh, and when you look at, you we look at Lisa, like in her behavior, she comes across as something's Eager. wrong. Something's wrong with her. No, no. I mean, you crit fail here and there. So like, there's, oh, that, there's that's, this, true. that's true. Yeah. So you're getting like a very, <laughs> very awkward impression, like the completely opposite impression for all of them. Eventually we'll say Maggie comes down and you hear Roddy Blackwell thought that charade went on just a touch too long uh there's no one in here and them fuckers behind the counter they don't give two shits about you anyhow sit down we got business and, and so maggie yeah. just sort of looks like why are we in a burger king and you can tell she's trying very hard not to sit in anything sticky like ugh. he reaches down uh, underneath the table, he's been kind of squished up against the uh, against the wall a bit, and he produces 
couple of green file folders. They've got these red rubber bands wrapped around them, kind of keeping the folders intact. Each one is like almost as thick as a dictionary, but you can tell it's it, there's a lot of it's a lot of loose pages and papers, some photographs, things like that. Ah, uh, he's like, well, here's the thing. Uh, you all are um, you're what we call available, and uh, because you're available, you now have a task. Uh, I don't know why you want to call it. Uh, Kismet, destiny, fate, good fortune, bad fortune, whatever it might be, but you're here. You're present. Here's the thing. And he starts to sort of push the, the these file folders in different directions. He's like, routine scan of crime reports brought a cluster of child disappearances and a, well, a suspected unnatural location to the organization's attention. And while no one except our organization has noticed the strangeness or the linkages of these crimes, that is not necessarily always going to be the case. Various federal agencies, local law enforcement, they can be competent at times. Even the DEA. He kind of looks over at Luca. The site... It's the S. Garretson Mansion. We don't know much, only that it was entered into a database of hot spots back in 1961 during a wholly redacted operation called Blister. So, welcome to Blister 2. Now, over the last few months, three children have gone missing within about a five kilometer radius of the mansion. And he kind of pushes one file folder out a little bit further. An infant in Windsor Terrace neighborhood. Kind of pushes another one. Another in Borium Hill. And he pushes the third. And a two-year-old in Carroll Gardens. Yeah. Law enforcement, NYPD. Even uh, in consultation with the FBI, I've attempted to explain away the vanished children as kidnappings or parental abductions. The two of the three are still under active investigation. However, active is a term used loosely. So, you have very simple tasks. Very simple. Investigate the disappearances of the children. Determine whether the source of those disappearances is unnatural in nature and whether they are connected to this S. Garretson mansion. And... If you uncover any evidence of anything unnatural, you need to stop the incursion. Any means necessary, keep it quiet. You know the drill. Well, some of you do. And you're going to report it. And he kind of reaches into his coat pocket, pulls out a little card, puts it down. card looks to be for some, from what you can tell, vacuum care or something or other and he slides it across and it's like a vacuum repair business but you can see that it, it's like there's a phone number on it uh it's got newport connecticut it's a location and he writes on the back in pen 6644 call his number dial the extension 
Let us know. Oh, also, and he kind of stares over in the direction of Declan. Uh, you get any books, any uh, documents? I want you to uh, remove those to a the green box, and he kind of pulls here and there. Oh, where is it? And he pulls out another little card, and this one's for like a like a storage facility. And he kind of writes on the back again, one one nine one. And as he slides it over, he slides it directly to Declan. Keeps his fingers kind of pressed down as you try to pull it away, and he says, "You put things in the box. You don't take them out." Uh, of course, I, I wouldn't. It was a one-time thing. It was a one-time thing. And then he takes his fingers off the card, and Declan, you know how I'll have it. Now, if you can get the hell out of my way, please. Of course, enjoy your five-star dining. Oh, yeah, that's right. And he kind of slides this tray as the table is now just covered in files and cards and what looks to be, you know, like like these drinks from Burger King that have created condensation. It's all messy, and he just kind of slides this tray over in the direction of Luca. Uh, and he's like, well, good luck, team. Here, dinner's on us. And you can see as he slides it over, like, there's a very lukewarm Whopper uh, that's got like a big bite taken out of it and will look to be like a pile of a, like a half even pile of fries with like a little bit of ketchup kind of smothered on one of the wrappers. All right. I'll see you. And then he gets up, he grabs his suitcase and you hear it just rolling it across to the linoleum floor. And he doesn't even look back as he just goes. You get the door open and he leaves. You forgot your book. <laughs> What's with you in the books? Are you a reader? Here, you can have a copy. It's signed. I assume this is you? Well, flip it over. And my picture's on the back, and I make the same smile that's in the, the picture. That, yeah, that's, that's, that's you. Uh have to say there aren't uh, many of us going around with uh, our faces on book covers. Well, we were all in... It says it's fiction. 100% true. It all happened. A few minor liberties taken, but we were all in it. Uh, Lisa, Luca, and I were, were the main characters. I see. So I am very clearly the uh, odd woman out in this group here. Just some sort of joke. What, what is all this? I, I changed your name. You're Luca Brazzi now. I haven't read your book, Declan. It, well, yeah, that's why I got you a copy. It, it only just came out. It's okay. Wait, so why why are we looking into this? I, I have to ask. Um, how many of these have you all? Done before? Done? None of this. What, what is this, new girl? Excuse me? Well, don't believe we met. I'm Luca. Uh, you haven't done this before, have you? Um, you're going to want to have an agent name that's not 
your agent name? name. I have an agent name. <sighs> like a pen name? So first, uh, you, ma'am, first. Uh, I, no experience. Uh, Great. None. I, I, I got a job. It kind of seemed kind of weird how he got it. Uh, uh, and an author, man. Well, scholar, first and foremost. Uh, but my books do sell well. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so that's, this is how this works. You, you go about whatever it is you're doing. And then suddenly you're not doing whatever it is you're doing, and we're doing this thing. And we do it together. Did you did you catch uh, yeah, everything uh, that he said? Especially the last thing. The last thing is the most important thing. Dinner's on him? Not not that last thing. Uh, I mean, sure, have it. I certainly don't want it. You have to stop the spread. Of whatever it is. That is the most important thing. Not your book. Not well, your this, whatever pizza shop. Not this coming off a little weird, like a little egotistical. I'm sorry. I literally just came from Regis and Kelly. I didn't have time to stop off and drop off the books. So that's why I brought them with me. Uh, I, I know it looks weird. That's why I'm dressed like this. You know, it's I, not weird. This... He did this the first time we met him, too. It's like his habit. Oh. Don't let him lie. I'm going to have a conversation with. Uh... Mm. All right. What, okay. What should what's your name? Uh, I'm Agent Aggie. Aggie. Mm hmm. OK, OK. Um, I, and like Lisa pauses to think for a little bit. I don't, I'm, I'm Weaver. I really like how Melissa's secret agent name literally just takes the <laughs> M yeah. off her name. <laughs> yeah. And you're condescending towards everybody. Oh, you gotta have a secret. Like, no, like just drop the M. That's it. That's it. You stole that from me in Forbidden Lands earlier this week. <laughs> Oh, the funny thing is it's not even at all what I was going for. And then it worked out, but it's funny. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my agent name will be, um, Michael Crichton. No, uh, <laughs> Michael King. <laughs> so you're, you're agent King. That's, that's great. I'm scribbling on a Burger King napkin. Agent Oregano. No, I'll cross that out. <laughs> agent Inferno. You got something over there, mustache? Uh, let's, let's go with Agent Inferno. Agent... Yeah. <laughs> Agent Fire, that's what... All right. I look forward. All right, we got King. We got Fire. To Luca introducing himself to somebody. Where they're like, uh, yeah, I'm Bill. Uh, what's your name? Oh, uh, Agent Inferno. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> What is going on? <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. So anyhow, we'll say you've been here. We didn't get oh. Lisa's agent name. Weaver. Yeah, we did. Weaver. Yeah, Weaver. Oh, Weaver. I'm sorry. 
Blair okay. Weaver. We have. Oh, look at you. Uh, okay. Uh, Aggie Weaver King, and for fuck's sake, Inferno. <laughs> I'm calling him Fire. God damn it. I just. <laughs> why, do not I much better. why do I try? Okay. Anyhow, you've got these records in front of you. Your handler of the familiar Ronnie Lightside has just left. Um, what else would you guys like to do as the train wreck slowly rolls on? Uh, I Lisa's gonna start like looking over the case files we've been provided. Same, I'd be pouring over them. Okay, uh, are we doing that here? Are you gonna do that in the Burger King? Or are you going to retreat somewhere else? Or are you gonna do? You can do it here. It's fine. No one's no one else is here. Like there's workers that are moving around in the back, but they never come out front, and they only seem to come. I'd out. say here. So what you're Unless seeing you guys have somewhere you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. So what you're seeing is you're kind of going through is you're seeing all sorts of like, like police files, police reports, uh, some that seem to be related to some of these kids. You can see some of it seems to be information, employee records, employment records, uh, like history of the building, construction companies, dates of sale, changing of hands from one owner to another. Like it's just this huge mess. There's pictures, there's, uh, of, of a variety of like people who are, who are like a persons of interest in various investigations. There's what looks like, uh, photos throughout, throughout the, the decades of, of the building. There's, uh, there's at one point there's like an incomplete blueprint. There's all manner of things here and there. So what would we say each of you, as you're kind of divvying up and pouring through these files, like what would we say you guys are actually most interested in what would you be uh like what kind of information would be catching your your agent's uh attention more than anything else i think Uh, i'd be looking for patterns any sort of commonalities between all the children like they were missing from different places but if like they had any sort of connections whether it was school or hobbies or anything like that sure uh okay uh so declan you're going to be rolling in int times five uh what about the rest of you I think Lisa would focus on like the history of the building because she doesn't really know anything about police reports or anything like that. Okay. So, uh, do you, what's uh? do you, you have bureaucracy, right? What's your bureaucracy at? 60. Okay. All right. Uh, you don't need a roll. I'll give you something in a minute. Cool. Uh, what about Maggie or Luca? Kind of other crimes happen in the area. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, and same thing. Do you have any bureaucracy? Yeah, I do. I've forty. All right, you're good to go. Uh, what about you, Maggie? Uh, sorry, did you say that there was anything on the previous operation files uh, on Operation Blister? There's no information as that. That was completely redacted on the okay. first Operation Blister. Okay. Uh, then I would say that I would uh, also be wanting to focus on kind of the the details with the the kids. Okay. Uh, in times five for Maggie then. Uh, and so I'll start with then Lisa. Uh, as you're digging into, you kind of start going through some of these, uh, some of these, these files that you're getting. A lot of it is photocopied, what looks like dates of sale, uh, some history. Like it almost looks like someone's taking some handwritten notes on the side here and there or on the back. Photocopies of that as well. 
the handwriting doesn't seem to be consistent, so it looks like there's more than one person who might have been working on it at some point. Uh, but what you can tell is that the Garrison building was um, on the record, like on the actual on the actual records of the the, the official state of New York, uh, as the as the Sidem Garrison Manson S U Y D A M, and it seems for some reason that at some point in the past, like that 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 name, the first hyphenated name was dropped. It's just the S that's actually showing. Uh, you can see that it was uh, first constructed 1843. It's gone through some changes. There's a renovation in 1924 that's of note. Um, it was built by that Sidem family uh, when, like, like back in the the mid 19th century when Flatbush, from this this whole kind of Brooklyn area, was just so much farmland here and there. Uh, somewhere around 1926 is where that other name starts to show up. Uh, Gerritsen, G-E-R-R-I-T-S-E-N, uh, as it was inherited by them. Uh, there is some sort of detail in here about the name kind of being dropped off because there was some sort of linkage, like the name Sidem, S-U-Y-D-A-M, again, was sort of connected with certain crimes uh, back in 1925, kind of gave it a, a bad name. So they sort of just dropped it off when, when trying to resell. Uh, and then... It was resold again, so the Garrisons kind of held on to it for about 20 years, and somewhere around 1945, you saw it change hands once more, uh, and there was a, a family by the name of Devont took over. They held it only for a handful of years, uh, and in 1951, you can see it was sold uh, to an education company, the Edder Education Company, and for a while, uh, for a couple decades, it actually was used uh, not as apartments, not as a home, but as a remedial school. And then somewhere around 1974, it was condemned. Uh, and like at that point, it was gifted to the city uh, from the education company and was kind of used as a halfway house for a little while for the mentally ill. Uh, the most recent changing of hands was about nine years ago, 2002 or so, when a construction company called Xenoff Construction, uh, they bought it. And you can see that they have filed plans and have begun a project for condominiums. Uh, and so like the whole, like you can see that there's some of the details of like their submission of their plans, what their blueprint, you know, what their, their designs are, things like that. Uh, and so that's what you would be able to find. You would get a name, the construction company, Xenoff Construction. You'd also see that there's like a subcontractor that seems to have taken over the specific renovations uh, called Bloomfeld, Bloomfeld Associates. Uh, and so, yeah, that's what you would kind of get some from some of the files and things as you start digging through it, Lisa. Okay. Uh, okay, so then let's go over to Maggie and Declan. Both of you had int tests. How did you do with those tests? Go ahead, Maggie. Uh, succeeded at 46 under 85. Okay. What about you, Declan? Uh, I also succeeded with a 26 under 80. So Maggie's smarter than me, but barely. So so it's it's blackjack rules. Did you count for that? What did, what did you roll again, Maggie? Uh, 46. I think oh, it was yeah, more yeah. just I have an int of 85 and he's got an int of uh, 80. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> okay. 
So uh, the two U, there's there's a variety of files. There's these different file folders. You're kind of splitting up. You're sort of each taking something different. Um, and you're each kind of grabbing and going through various police files. There's things in here you're pretty confident that you should not be looking at. There's no reason you should have access to these files. Some of these look to be photographs. Some of them look to be originals, like they're original copies of, of, of certain files, witness testimony, things like that. Um, we'll say that, uh, we'll say that Maggie, you dig into one of the disappearances, um, Catherine Strouch. Uh, so she, again, we're, it's August 18th right now. She went missing back March 6th, uh, young seven year, uh, seven month old. Uh, she was, uh, so the, the story as it's, sort of testified by her mother uh, was that Catherine was sleeping in a uh, child carrier on the bed uh, on her on, on a bed in a third floor one bedroom apartment in Windsor Terrace neighborhood of Brooklyn. Uh, her mother, who the files identify as Emily, Emily Strouch, uh, 22, uh, uh, she was kind of folding clothes, according to her testimony, in the living room, but had eyesight of the bed. And basically at around, at around, I think it was like, I think it says 6.08 PM, the bedroom door slammed shut. And before the mother could reach it, uh, she heard the lock turn. Now she kind of started breaking down the door at that point. And once she did, and she did it fairly quickly, uh, she found that the carrier was empty and it was overturned on the floor. In the bed, uh, and you can see that there are pictures of these, she found three old split bones with the marrow scraped out. Now, you do have some, some testing, some lab reports here uh, that later they were able to, kind of, like the investigating officers were able to, they, they are in fact human remains, but the bones are much too old uh, to be from a seven-month-old child, much too old. Now, the only suspect that they currently have, uh, like listed, and you can see that there's not, there's not a lot of certainty. It, it, it certainly feels like the, the local NYPD is kind of at their wits end about this. Is an estranged mother-in-law, Janice Strouch, who has apparently has a history of psychiatric problems, uh, and the one time that she was allowed to see the baby, there is like kind of an altercation or interaction between Emily and her mother-in-law. Uh, the father is not considered uh, a suspect because he's serving active duty overseas and he wouldn't, he wasn't even in the country at the time. Uh, it does also list that Janice Strouch is under indefinite voluntary commitment uh, to the Manhattan psychiatric center. So, it's still considered active, but there's no active leads that it seems that the NYPD is currently following. Um, so that's the one that you have. Uh, we'll say Declan, you start digging into yours. You get a file folder here. You get one for, uh, from April. So April 5th, uh, this time it's a, it's Franklin elders, uh, age, uh, 11 months, little boy. Uh, so the report in this one, comes uh, from there's a variety of eyewitness testimony uh, but you do see that there is a very long statement that has been typed up 
from from the baby's father, Devin Elders, uh, and age 29. Uh, and apparently the story was going that they were on Atlantic Avenue Street Market in the Boreum Hill neighborhood. It was not quite five o'clock when the kid vanished. So there's multiple random witnesses uh, from the market itself. Uh, a lot of them, they're not very long statements, but they just happen to come forward or they were sort of, you know, sort of a questioned and sort of this, this cursory, uh, cursory discussion. But basically the father was eating and, you know, sitting down and eating pizza. And it sort of was like allowing the kid to kind of wander back and forth. He was kind of walking back and forth between the table and this food tent, this unoccupied food tent. And at one point, the child went behind the tent and was laughing and laughing and then was never seen again. Now, there were like the, the, the cops, the NYPD was initially just like right and focused on the father. Uh, there's also you can see a couple little newspaper clippings that they thought it was made like a racial component for that, too, as um, as the elders, their family, their African-American family. But you can also notice that there are a ton of witnesses that came forward into the fence of the father uh, saying that. It's, it, it couldn't have possibly been them kind of corroborating it. And then some camera footage came out as well. And it sort of corroborated all this eyewitness testimony. But none of them pointed behind that tent and could see what actually happened to the child. Now, there were a bunch of searching. There's a lot of searches that were going on. You can see that there was public outreach. There's these different programs. There's even uh, like these little flyers that the father had made and commercials that, are, that kind of came up here and there. News stories and such newspaper articles and none of them were able to locate the child however about a month later may 10th um the there were remnants of the of the kids clothing that were found at the mouth of a drainage pipe near the brooklyn height piers uh, about a, about a kilometer away and the clothing had all these rips and tears that were consistent with what uh the report and what the me and various forensic analysts would say were animal bites and scratches but there was no blood uh, so the current theory that the NYPD is working with is that the child fell down a sewer, a sewer catch basin and sort of drowned basically and kind of got washed around inside. And since no body has actually been discovered, has been recovered, like the case is still technically active. But again, there doesn't seem like there's any specific investigations going on, no new leads that are being followed. And it definitely feels as though the NYPD is happy to just say this is done. This is over. Okay. Now we'll kick over to, there's still one more case. We can get to that in a minute, but we'll kick over to Luca. Now, Luca, you were specifically looking for like other crimes and things, right? Yeah. So you do find, uh, as we'll say you and Lisa were probably splitting up one of these files and you do see that someone has done a sort of a, like a cursory background check on some of the construction crew workers uh, for Xenoff Construction, the very company that is now at work at this site. Uh, there appear to be about a dozen workers that are full-time, but most, like I would say about half of them actually have criminal records. Uh, and so when you start going through them, you're either seeing specific records or something that's kind of catching up and there's little margin notes here and there, but... It doesn't really seem as though anyone's followed up too heavily, but you can see that one of them 
Uh, it was a woman named Margaret Dinatello. Uh, she's not, she's perfectly clean. She has no actual uh, criminal history, but her father apparently uh, has potential connections to the uh, Genovese crime family uh, and uh, was also prosecuted for tax crimes a couple times. Uh, there's Narturo Dominguez who was arrested uh, 10 years ago on a drunk and disorderly, uh, just paid a fine. Uh, there is a, a Charlotte Dunbar who apparently has, and you're not really sure how this information came out because it's supposed to be sealed, but apparently had some convictions under 18 convictions for possession. Uh, and you can see that there is another woman, Lisa Martinez. She's also clean, but it's her husband that seems to have have been noted down here. Uh, he has two acquittals, one for criminal possession and the other for drunk driving. Uh, there's a man uh, working there called, by the name of Peter Platt who was arrested in 2002 uh, for assault, uh, but he only served 18 months community service, which was kind of curious. It's like I would say as a DE agent, you would probably know that's a pretty light sentence. Uh, and then Henry Webbett was arrested in uh, 2001 for assault as well, but the charges were dropped. And then finally, and this one probably stands out more than any, uh, a man by the name of Mark Garrity was convicted of manslaughter uh, on his 21st birthday after the death of his brother, Simon. Uh, and he spent five years in the Otisville Correctional Facility. And you have, as part of this, as part of like the documents that you have here that, that Lisa's going through, you have full names, associated addresses, Got these criminal histories. You got names of a bunch of other workers there as well, but it doesn't look as though the other half have any kind of criminal back, you know, criminal history in some particular way. Now, the other thing, if you're looking for additional, um, additional crimes, Luca, like statistically speaking, as you're like you're looking through, maybe for for abductions or maybe for for anything that might have. Um, connections to it. The NYPD basically deals with about 500 missing children reports per year, but most are like 13 or older. So these are very, very, very young kids. Uh, so this is one of the things that seems a little odd. Most are considered runaways or voluntaries is what they call them. And so there's a lot of those listed, but they don't match up with what Declan and Maggie are kind of picking up as they're going through the files. Uh, and you also notice that a bunch of these abductions involve family members of some kind. So it's usually resolved when like a guardian is arrested in another state. Uh, but all of the guardians that of these, of these kids, they're either here or overseas for military. So none of them have been, have like kind of disappeared in any particular way, except for one, uh, the third case, there's a, uh, there's a Sandra Cohen. That's the, that's the kid's name. But apparently, uh, her 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 ex-husband or the child's father is a wanted felon so that's the only one that is kind of out there as a potential uh, as a potential lingering issue uh so we'll say that as you're reading through this is taking a while you guys got her at nine this has probably gone on for about an hour hour and a half or so as you've kind of read and i'm assuming that to some degree you maybe share some things with each other just take a deep breath. It just dropped a ton of crap on you. So like what kind of questions would you, would you have and that you would be following up on that kind of thing? Do we see any patterns or any commonalities between these cases and the kids, anything that could link them all together? 
so they're the local like they're the local nature of it like how where they are like where they happen like they're not immediately next door to one another but they're in that same sort of radius uh one thing you do notice declan as you did pass your int is the timing of it uh even though they're on they're in different months there's march 6th there's april 5th and then the third abduction was on may 4th um so it was March 6th, April 5th, and May 4th. The May 4th one was a Sandra Cohen. She was two years old. Uh, she was actually the oldest of the three, uh, but still two years old. She was apparently playing in a, a small fenced-in backyard in the Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn. And like her mother was kind of watching her from the kitchen. But at a certain point early in the afternoon, she called the police. And she claimed that her daughter was missing. The folks that were investigating came there was kind of an altercation with the mother. Uh, she even strike the police officer. They, they, she was held, but not charged for that. But as they were searching, they uncovered a sunken uh, standpipe in the high grass near the back of the yard and all these like fresh metal scrapes that seemed to indicate that the cover had been moved and slid back. But it's a very heavy cover. It's like 75 pounds. And so they didn't really think that a two-year-old could accomplish that task. So there was a little bit of concern there. Um, they did do a search of the sewer and much like they did, uh, for the boy. Uh, and what they found, they, they again, didn't find a body, uh, and they didn't really find anything whatsoever. Uh, and so they, they're kind of just at a loss. Now, those two things, those two specific cases had some sewer component to it. And the other thing you notice, Declan, is the timing of it. And while it's not like an exact month you do notice they all kind of coincide with kind of a lunar cycle in a way, in a sort of curious manner. It's probably Declan. It might be the one who kind of picks this and pieces it together right around the new moon, like on or just at like new moon time. I, of course, would share that with everyone too, pointing out that you know, like it's a month minus one day, you know, wh what is that? A month lunar cycle, maybe? That's a good catch. I definitely think it could be. Uh, it's it's interesting that there were three only. Something we may want to do is look at uh, whenever the next new moon would have been in June and see if maybe it's just something that uh, got outside of the area. So maybe it didn't quite get caught, but maybe there's something a little farther out, maybe. Or maybe they just didn't notice if it was someone who was under the radar, not reported. Could be. Could be a fourth victim. Might be, because this is, I mean, we've got either somebody's doing this and three was enough for them, or we've had a couple of months since then. We've got June and July and August, actually. So... Um, I'm not finding anything in these reports about looking into potential predators in the area. Um, maybe that's something that I'll start looking into. Yeah, definitely a good place to start. See, especially because it was all in kind of centralized. So there's got to be something about that, about that area. Yeah. So you, and there's nothing in the, in the like, the files that you've gotten that seems to have been targeting 
like a serial predator of any kind. Like there's nothing popping up, which isn't to say, I mean, it's New York City. It's not to say that they don't exist, mm-hmm. but it's just there's it never seemed to be something that caught the investigating officer's attention. Like it's like this, this MO seems to match this or that or whatever. So none of that seems to at least have been mentioned in the files that you have. And the files that you have are fairly exhaustive, uh, but you're not seeing that from any of these. Okay. Um, you can also, obviously there's, this is just what you have in front of you. This is just like initial perusal of these files that Ronnie gave you. So. Um, one thing that Lisa would definitely look in further to is, um, the Zenuf, uh, company, construction company, uh, and yeah. get more information on them. Yeah. You can tell that somebody else had the same train of thought that you did. As you can see, a couple of bits of information about them have been have popped up. You get the basic deals, the details, uh, it's a LLC, Zenoff Construction. It's owned by a woman by the name of Lucinda Cornwall. It's, it's uh, run by her son-in-law, a guy by the name of Michael Croft. Like, you can see that they have a fairly strong reputation. Uh, they appear to have about a dozen or more projects that either have been completed or are still in progress, either in New York or Massachusetts. So it's very northeasternly focused. Uh, the only things that were ever really kind of brought up at any point in the notes that you're going through is that they had some run-ins here and there with the state for permits and other very mundane things. Nothing that seems out of the ordinary. It didn't really, it didn't seem like any of the uh, the investigators that were going through this felt that it was worth following up. It just seemed the type of thing that any kind of construction company would come, you know, and run into just permit problems every now and then. Uh, but overall, like they do seem to have a pretty good reputation. Um, there's nothing, there was nothing in it that suggested, uh, that they were connected to a larger parent company that seems to be as high as it went with Xenoff, uh, Xenoff construction. Okay. And that uh, list of criminals that you were uh, looking at there, uh, were those connected to that uh, Bloomfield? Is that what you're looking at? What is Bloomfield again? So Bloomfield's the name of a subcontractor that's working on this construction site uh, at the the Gerritsen Mansion. Uh, from what you can tell, the the site that Delta Green, the organization seems interested in is this mansion that kind of goes back 150 something years. And like they're renovating it for condominiums and they have a subcontractor that's doing all the work. That's Bloomfeld. And what you went through, Luca, was essentially a list of, of people working for that company. And, and like you went through the whole list and you found the ones that actually had some sort of criminal history or attachment, uh, someone close to them that might have a criminal history, that kind of thing. Does Bloomfield have like a parent company or anything like that? No, you do get the name though of the uh, the person who's like in charge. It's Edward F. Bloomfield. Uh, that's his name. Uh, it's Bloomfield Associates is the name of the his actual company. Uh, it's a sub subcontractor. You have like details for his address. Uh, it looks like he lives out in Long Island, um, but you don't have any. Again, when you start looking into the the history of his company, again, nothing, nothing but a pretty solid reputation. 
uh, he's does seem like he he does have uh, a decent reputation. So is any of the notes that we're seeing make a clear connection as to why exactly the powers that be think that this old house is connected to these kids? Is that just a proximity kind of thing that they just, this is kind of in the area and these kids are going missing in the same kind of area? So Lisa, you did research into the history of this place and you did notice that somewhere in the 1920s, the name, the family name of Sidem, that was kind of, they they were the family that built the home back in the 19th century. It was sort of stricken, at least from public perception, like the records themselves, the legal record still has it, but it was stricken. And from all you really could tell is that there were apparently like some strange crimes that the name was somehow attached to. That's all that's kind of, and, that, and that's why it was to kind of take it off from sort of like, not necessarily public yeah. record from, but from reference. And so whenever it's referenced, it's references to the S. Gerritsen mansion, not the, the Sidem Gerritsen mansion. Um, and so Lisa will say, I'm not too positive, but it does seem like we could research further. It might have something to do with the Sidem family. Um, they owned it at one point. And maybe we'll just see if there's like some as silly as it is but just rumors about the building like what's public perception of the building is there like belief that it's haunted or like weird sighting supposedly there yeah i mean it was condemned at some point and usually those kind of buildings will get some kind of story they'll go along with them and um lisa has some just uh, she tends to troll sites like that pretty often um or other trashy tv stuff like that so she'll do a cursory search on her phone uh you're 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 googling something like what what is it you're googling exactly just for like rumors about the building like is it supposed do people think like public perception do they think it's haunted um have there been supposed sightings of ghosts at the building or is there mm. more so rumors like okay. that? Uh, basically, like that. are there any urban legends associated with it? Is yes, that sort of the that's dig, the word I'm looking deal? for, yeah. Okay. Uh, sure. Let's. I'm going to probably want to roll for that one, though. Um, okay. Give me... I mean, I, I guess like, I guess we can just do a, com, like a computer use kind of roll as you're just yeah, sort of looking around. Science. Yeah, computer science. Um, and then... Yeah, let's go ahead and give me a computer science first and uh, a luck as well. Give me a luck. Okay, so I passed my computer science. I got a 49 and I needed a 50. Okay, very nice. And just barely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, luck is what, just a D100? Yeah, D100, you want to hit 1 to 50 is good. 51 and above is bad. Ripped it and we got a 27. Okay. So we'll say that like if you've established that you're kind of of the type of person who digs into these urban legends and whatnot, uh, you, you do get some, some reference. Um, 
at a certain point, like there's a stray phrase that doesn't really ever get followed up on very clearly, uh, where someone just kind of refers to it as like the baby killer house or the baby killer mansion, something like that. But there's no real clear reason why no one really follows up on it. Maybe you're in like a, a subreddit or, or like a, or just sort of a private forum, 2011, yeah, some sort of private forum. Um, there's like, as you just start doing some, some simple searching that you can do for your, you know, from your phone in 2011, you, you do see some bits and pieces about the Sedman family kind of showing up something about, uh, one of the, one of the family, like the last in their line, a Robert's item who kind of had a weird history. Uh, he kind of was considered to be an, an a kind of an odd one seemed to be associated with some sort of occult stuff. At least that's what the rumor has, but all of this is just generic rumor. Like it's just a random website. So I think you might be able to sort of dig into it here and there. Um, there are, we'll call it various stories about his death. Uh, and some of them are quite, um, uh, quite grandiose. There's sort of talks about, uh, him being murdered, uh, and his, and his wife being murdered, like while they were on like kind of a, a cruise, um, on their wedding night. And so like there's, there's sort of references to that. Uh, there's others that kind of refer, you know, kind of refer to them as being a collector of like occult antiquities. Uh, so a lot of none of it's really verified. It's all just rumor milling that you're kind of doing here. Uh, but that's kind of what you're seeing. Uh, you probably want to reinforce that with some other other avenues of research, though. Yeah, heading up the library over the next day or so is probably on Lisa's agenda. Okay. So uh, we're trying to figure out some patterns here, and it seemed as if uh, for both uh, Sandra and Franklin that there was some conversations about uh, some kind of a pipe or uh, some kind of a sewer. Did we hear anything with the first one with Catherine about anything having to do with water or sewer or any such similar thing? Uh, I mean, if you start going through it, seeing other things, there's nothing at all. It was a third floor, one bedroom. Um, so like they were up fairly high. Uh, no reference to sewers at all. Um, there is reference to like animal excrement, uh, like on the fire escape. Uh, like, and, and, uh, and like, uh, what's it called? Raccoon footprints and things. Uh, but that is the closest thing you have to like a sewer reference. Well, I would imagine in the light of day, we're probably going to want to get a closer look at these places. Cause I would wonder if maybe there's something right around that Windsor Terrace that we might want to take a look at all this paperwork it's a lot of info leave it to the reader Nathan King it was that's more of a field out myself I believe we should go to these sites check them out all any loose leads
I don't know about you all, but uh, I would like to get some actual food. So it's at that point when you look up, by the way, that they have packed up the kitchen. Uh, a couple hours have passed, and there are two very angry people looking and staring at you all, uh, waiting for you to leave. And they just kind of got, one of them's got their hands or their arms crossed over their chest. The other one's got their hands on their hips and just both staring daggers at you. Anytime y'all are ready. Are you closed? I thought you were still open for a bit. Woman kind of holds it up. We've been closed for 45 minutes. And you look at your watch and it's past midnight. Yeah. Lisa's like, oh my God, I have to go home. Um, And she kind of like scoops up all the stuff in the file that she was reading. And she's she's taken some notes so she just keeps the notes and she shoves the file to to declan like adds it to his pile and um happily take it she starts to head to the door like she's gonna leave and then she stops and she turns around and she takes another scrap of paper and she writes down her phone number and she shoves it at aggie and um and then she's like just let me know i i gotta go and uh, and she's out the door. And so if you looked at your phone, by the way, you would see that there are several missed calls and text messages uh, from uh-huh. uh, an increasingly angry Vivian uh, and, uh, and a couple from your from Jamie, your daughter, uh, who is like trying to figure out where you're at. And then there's also one or two from Cody who is just like, just wanted to say goodnight. Cause you see like, there's a, like a voicemail first, but then like shortly thereafter is a text message. Just want to say goodnight. Love you. And then like little, uh, like little XOXO. Uh, and that's, we'll say what you see as you see Lisa run out of the Burger King. What about the rest of you? What do you do now? I'll pack up some of these files, take it with me. Take Declan's new book. Okay. Very nice. There we go. And uh, okay. I'll smooth things over with the Burger King employees by handing them signed books as well. Uh, roll a roll a charisma times five. Or no, what was it called? The charisma? I always forget. Charisma? Charisma, time, yeah. charisma times five. Uh, I have an 18 charisma, uh, mm-hmm. so I'm trying to get under a 90 here. Fair enough. Uh, 64. Okay. Somehow... These people, when you hand them over, you hand over a copy of your book, they have, don't really necessarily know who you are, but they see you, they see you on the back, and they're like, is this for real? Like, you're like... Him it goes for quite a bit on eBay. Okay, yeah, really- yeah. I, I've been on the New York Times bestseller. This is my seventh time on the New York Times bestseller. What's the, what's the New York Times bestseller? What does that mean? It, it means that I've sold more books than most people. Oh, so that like this is worth money? Like I can put this up on eBay or something? Yeah, yeah, that's worth at least a hundred on eBay. Okay. Here, take another right. one. Keep one, sell one. Keep one. I mean, I could just sell them both, though. You know, I mean, I'm not going to read it, but you know, is well, it good? Y- is that, keep one I as like an movies. investment. Uh, are you going to make like a? It'll movie sell better than Beanie Bubby, Beanie Babies. And what's future. a Beanie Baby? Hold on to it for a uh, different generation. I'm sorry. Hold on to it for ten years. It'll be worth more than a hundred. How about that? I don't really got a lot of space in my apartment or like just put random books in it. No worries. Sell them both. Sell them both. It's all good. Okay. Yeah, I'm I, I appreciate both. your time. Is there going to be uh, like a, like a movie based on the book? 
Because like there have been I, I can give you a headshot. Uh, I, I can't say any names. I can give you a headshot. You know, like I I I know like I'm I'm represented. You know what? You give me your number, and uh, I I can't say any names, yeah, but some famous second. directors one, one have second. contacted one me. One, one second, and you see like they they kind of run like like right around the the sort of that that center uh, the center like warming rack, and they they grab like a bag, and they pull in, they reach in and they pull out what looks like a stack of headshots, and they hand one over to you. Uh, and they kind of like, and they, and they attach a card to it and like, here's my representation. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. No great. worries. Uh, you know, I'll hand this off to someone. His, his name rhymes with Jarton Jorsese. Uh, is that like French or something? I don't, don't worry about it. It's a big name. You'll be happy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's so great. It's nice to meet you. Like, uh, Declan. G.W. Ellis. Oh, yeah. Declan Ellis. Declan Ellis. Not, not King yet. What's the G.W. stand for? Gordon Wood. Gordon Wood. Okay. So Declan Gordon Wood Ellis. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, awesome. And I see, uh, and like, where, where, what's your publisher? Is it like Simon Schuster? Is it like a legit publisher? Or is it like some? Yeah, it would be a legit publisher. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm not up to date on who would be publishing mostly nonfiction, but uh, it's, I mean, we can give you Simon and Schuster. They're pretty big. Uh, and he's like, <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, uh, all right, great, and uh, sure. And like, can I? And like, you're gonna put a good word in for me, with like the director and everything, right? Oh, of course, of course. I, like, I appreciate your time here. And he kind of reaches over and he's like shaking your hand. He's got this big old smile on his face, whereas like moments ago he had his arms crossed and looks like he was gonna murder all of you big old Declan's being bright, completely genuine teeth. too like he, he yeah. really is trying to be friendly just happy to make a fan yeah and you just see like it just says just says Franco on his name tag and stuff here and there and it's just like shaking his hand shaking his hand and yeah you so, seem to have won them over yeah Maggie go ahead when this conversation ends Maggie is gonna come behind Declan kind of as he's walking out yeah yeah hi uh so I, I I think all of you said that you have not done this before, right? I mean, done this. This is our first case we've been assigned, but you know, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been in the uh, program for almost two years now. Oh, okay. So good, good, good. So I, I've got a a challenge for you. Okay. I'm going to challenge you for the rest of the time that we are in this here Big Apple. That you don't say anything about your book or your real name. That's my challenge for you. Oh my God, I am so sorry. Was do you think Franco was a Russian spy? Did I just did I just give away <laughs> our secrets to the enemy? I am so sorry. I uh, I can't so, believe it. Uh, so is there a form like I have to like disclose this? No, or are you going to write no, me up? No, no, no. You're fine. Now, uh, handlers don't pick places that they suspect. So we're fine. This is this was a safe place to be. But now that we're we're stepping over the threshold, we're leaving. OK, Aggie. I, OK, Aggie. Agatha. Aggie. Um, That was sarcasm because like we're at a Burger King. Obviously, I'm not going to be giving out my name to just everyone, you know, like it. I thought it was OK, you know. 
Sure. But, you know, when, when you're someone who's going on, you know, Regis and Kelly, uh, you got to... I mean, Ronnie knew know. that about me ahead of time. Like, this mm -hmm. isn't new information. Look, I, I'm sorry. I'm, we just met each other. You know, that's... Yeah. Let's ease into this. You know, I'm, I'm not going to micromanage you. You don't have to micromanage me. And we'll get along just fine. This is good. This is good. We, we have an understanding. Okay, so Lisa, you move out. You find you find transportation as best you can at this time of night. It probably takes you a while to get home or get back mm -hmm. to Aunt Viv's. Uh, Maggie and Declan and Luca, uh, where do you all head after this? Do you go back to where you're staying? It's late. It's past midnight. Um, where, where are where is everybody staying? Where do you head? Like, let's start with Luca. Um, Luca, where do you go? I've got an apartment in Jersey, so I'd drive over. You have an apartment in Jersey? Okay. Okay. <laughs> you begin a very long drive uh, over to Jersey. Got it. I'm probably not too far. You probably have it relatively yeah, It's in Newark, so it's going to be 30 to an hour. I'm sorry. How did you pronounce that? Is it Newark? Oh, jeez. What is it? Long. <laughs> <laughs> Newark. <laughs> oh goodness okay it's a soft w mm. it's probably it's probably no one mentions or something newark in new movies these days you know newark. every movie that mentions newark is like five years or older so you know long when it see it that's fair <laughs> not a lot of newark in in modern anime uh okay uh so you begin your law you bring in a drive you get like you get in your car uh you start driving back is it the same same car you drove to the to that operation with before is it your own yeah, different personal car so just a little sedan okay see maybe like in the back seat like you know a gym bag boxing gloves that sort of thing as you start driving off okay what about what about maggie where does maggie go so maggie and chelsea had just gotten like a double room so that is her place to stay at the moment um, and in the morning, she's going to have to try to find somewhere possibly else to stay. So she is trying to quietly kind of, you know, like key card in the door, Okay. get in the hotel room. You go ahead and use the key card opens up. You've got, it's just like a double bed, like a double. That's it. Nothing, not like a suite or anything like that. Uh, I would say not a suite, but probably like the, you know, two beds in the room kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, you open up the door, a little bit of light cuts through, and you can see that both beds are made, and Chelsea isn't there. Declan, where would you be going? Uh, I would be going to a hotel. Uh, it wouldn't be like the fanciest hotel, but it wouldn't be a bad one either. Uh, probably okay. somewhere closer to downtown, like uh, where I was doing the interviews. Okay, go to a hotel. No problem. Um... And you said it's not anything too fancy, right? It would be three and a half stars, I think. Okay. Now, do you have... Um, again, you said Merlin, you, you, and you dropped Merlin off there before? Uh, no, actually. I would have dropped Merlin off with Isabel, my uh, wife. However, uh, she she lives in the area. Uh, probably not in the city, but close. And uh, okay. I do not 
live with her. And do you uh, go get Merlin before you go back to the hotel or you just leave Merlin with Isabel? I think I would leave her instead of having him be stuck in the hotel. Like I, okay. I trust her with him. Okay, fair enough. So as each of you uh, makes your way back uh, to your various homes, very late, some of you probably aren't getting until 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning or so, fairly exhausted. Uh, Maggie, you're probably the first one back. Uh, and like I said, you open up the, you open up, you go into your hotel, you look around, no signs of Chelsea, no signs like she's been here recently. It definitely looks like she came back here at some point as you do see like a change of clothes. She's probably out, like who knows? Uh, and, uh, I'm not sure whether that means anything. Did you take any of the files with you at all? Um, yes, I would say that she did take some of the files and I would say she's not worried or concerned this is not unusual you know we're here for a you know a girl's week and so she's just doing her thing and she's not worried okay uh we go over to Declan uh Declan you open up the the hotel you kind of go in through a a, a lobby that is not particularly busy at this time of night uh you're probably the next one to return as the two of you are probably much closer you're in the city whereas Lisa's got to go all the way out to Long Island Luca's got to go over the Newark like the two of them have a hike, have somewhat of a hike, but, and, but Maggie and Declan, you're, you're in decent range of where you, where you need to be. Declan, you head into your hotel, nice hotel, big suite, just single room. Yeah. Big, bigger suite, single room. Like it would be the nicer end, but not like extravagant. Go ahead. And, uh, as you open the door, go ahead and roll an awareness test. Or alertness. As we yeah. learned in the last session, I'm really good at least. Alertness of 23, rolled to 34. Okay. Oh no. You you open the door and you realize the light is on. And you don't necessarily remember leaving the light on when you left. It's been a while since you've been here, right? Because you you went to the you went to the the interview yeah. this morning. It was probably the maid. You went well, that's the thing. Like you have a do not disturb. You have to do not disturb little uh, the hanging thing off the front of the front of the door. If you push it open, you can see like the room doesn't look like it's been cleaned. You don't. It doesn't look like you got new sheets. Towels are still on the ground and the floor when it comes to your your bedroom. But you look around and, and the light is on, and a few things you notice that your that your your bags. Like, did you leave them there? Did you not leave them there? Not really sure exactly. You can also tell that there's a depression. Like there's just some sort of what looks like as if like a depression, like sitting right on the bed. It's a very as as if like someone was sitting there relatively recently. But as you look, you smell something in the air too. You smell cigarettes. Like you smell like someone was smoking in here. You don't see any signs of like a of an ashtray. You don't see any signs of anything more than that. But you just smell smoke in here uh, like a lingering smoke this declan handle that anyone in here i checked the bathroom in the closet look in the bathroom look at the closet no one in here look under the bed do i know ronnie is a smoker um that's a great roll of human See how how Slightly perceptive you are of, of deck. Uh, how how perceptive Declan is. Uh, Human is a forty, and I rolled a twenty-four. You're pretty sure his teeth have some yellowing and around his mouth. 
you can also tell he's got like the smoker's fingers when you kind of look at the fingers themselves. Like there's some some sort of discoloration and some hardening of some of the skin around it. You've never seen him light up a cigarette in front of you guys. You've never seen him. You never saw him back in Hypoluxo. But at the same time, you're in an emergency shelter with a bunch of other people and you didn't see him here. This isn't. And you've also had encounters with him every now and then. Uh, like he's kind of popped in from time to time uh, and you've kind of seen him suddenly in the crowd when you're doing a reading at Barnes and Noble and like there he is in the back. You've never seen him smoke before, but you do remember he certainly has those uh, those traits. I would do a quick cursory look, see if anything is missing. But I think after like connecting that, I would just expect like, you know, Ronnie is always telling me that he's like keeping tabs on me and like he, you know, he listens to the shows and things like that, that he's worried about me uh, spilling the beans, basically. So I think I would just expect it was him, but I'd still want to like see if anything's taken, you know, see if, you know, I was robbed or anything like that. Yeah, you look around, you don't notice anything missing, like your money, your your belongings, like nothing of import, nothing of expense. If somebody was in here trying to rob you, there's plenty of things that you had in your possessions that they could have taken that probably would have been more expensive. Maybe jewelry, maybe a watch, maybe, you know, something like that. Um, maybe a, a laptop, but none of it was taken. Would the laptop look like it was moved or used recently? Uh, okay. Roll. Let's see. What's your search? Uh, search is slightly better. 41. Okay. I'll just give it to you with a 41. Uh, yeah, it, you can tell first of all that it's been moved. You remember probably because you had it charging on top of the desk and it was plugged into one of those plugs that are at the base of the lamp. And you can tell that it's been moved uh, like a scans ever so slightly. And you had it set up in a way that you could kind of sit on this comfortable chair nearby. And so when you put it back up on the desk, it was just sort of thrown, you know, kind of thrown up there with no real organization. But as you go to look at it, you can see that it's very carefully and clearly set in the middle of the desk, right in front of like a desk chair, as if somebody was sitting here and they were, you know, could, actually typing away on it. And that's not what you re recall the last time you were in here. Um, when you kind of open up the, uh, the laptop itself, when you kind of expand it a bit, uh, it does pop in, you know, everything kind of pops up just fine. Log in, you know, you can log in quite easily. As far as you can tell, like you don't see anything amiss. It, it seems to be functioning and booting just properly. My most recent manuscript I'm working on is still intact. Go into your most recent manuscript. What's it called? What's the working title? Uh, untitled so far. Uh, really just starting it. You don't have anything. Ugh, terrible. Okay, working title. <laughs> Storm Surge just came out. Storm Surge 2. <laughs> Surgier. Still surging. <laughs> Still surging. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's going to be. Storm Surge. Oh, God, it's the Storm Surge series. Still surging. Uh, yeah, you open that up. You see there is, is it like Microsoft Word doc or something like that? Yeah, yeah, something basic. Is, 2011, it, is, is it actually things. untitled? Does it say untitled at the top or does it say Storm Surge 2 still surging? 
it would probably say untitled manuscript and then like the actual top of the document like it would be labeled untitled manuscript that'd be the file name mm-hmm. and then in the manuscript it would have like in parentheses or something storm surge 2 still surging just like working title okay so you notice that there is a inserted comment on the title and you can see that in the comment itself it is just this sort of frowny face got two col- you had a colon and you got like the the upside down parentheses that's just rude i gave him a book as you're uh, looking down yeah. at it by the way your your laptop's got one of those kind of reflective glasses like and you're looking down and you see movement behind you immediately when you, turn when you turn around there's nothing there I would check the bathroom in the closet again. You go back, you check the closet, go check the bathroom, no one there. You come back, you look at your laptop, the comment's been deleted. We're going to cut then over to Luca. Luca, uh, you are in an apartment... Is it a small apartment? Are you by small yourself? Apartment. It's Any sometimes roommates? shared with my brother. Oh, current okay. owner of the pizza shop. Okay. So we'll show up every now and then. Okay, so occasionally shared with brother. Is your brother there now, would you say? Yeah, he could be there now. He'd probably close up shop. Came okay. Up. You uh is he would he be awake at this time? Because it's what? I don't know, two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. I, I don't know. I'd have to check to see. I don't remember how far I didn't I didn't have time to check to see how long it would take to get from because under an hour. To, I was looking. Work. Okay. So if you left at, you know, one o'clock or so, you're there before 2 a.m. So what uh, would he be? So if he was there, kind of, you know, cleaning Probably up. settling by now. Okay. So when you get in, you, you hear a shower running. And it's just running and running and running. You look around, you can see that your brother's, you know, his brother's things, he's kind of kicked his shoes off. You can see it's got like the sort of the dough, the flour and stuff kind of caked around the shoes here and there. Uh, but uh, it's kind of just uh, taking a really long shower. It's like you're in here for five minutes, still going, 10 minutes, still going, 20 minutes, still going. You can see that there's like this, there's a crack in the door, like where he's kind of left it open ever so slightly. And there's a bunch of steam that's kind of coming out from it, filling up the hallway a bit. And like 20 minutes shower, like that is not, like that's not cheap. <laughs> like your water bill at this point is going to be kind of, uh, be kind of high. What do you do? Come up to the door, knock on it. Marco, you okay in there? Wait, heartbeat or two response. Well, I'm coming in. And I'll open the door to check on him. Push the door open. You can barely see anything. There's just so much steam. Like you can see some of his clothes are right there on the floor. Uh, you, you can see like a curtain has been has been drawn. Um, toilet seat up. It's two dudes in an apartment. Who cares? You can see uh, some of his, you know, some of his uh, like kind of like a shaving kit and stuff sitting on the on the countertop. Probably a small, not a particularly big bathroom itself. 
but you can still hear like the shower just raining and raining and raining down. All right, Marco, time's up. I need a shower. And we'll curtain Nothing. over. What's that? I'll, pull the, I'll go up and pull the curtain. You go up, you pull the curtain. And as you do, you see that the bathtub of the shower is filled with this dark, hideous water. And you see standing in that shower, in that bathtub, isn't Marco, but is rather very tall, very discolored, very distended, bloated, hideous woman. And you can see that there is a huge cut vertically down her body. And you see like a tongue or a tentacle just comes out of it and reaches out towards your face. And that's where we're going to end for tonight. Oh, oh. my gosh. Sorry. Ooh. Sorry, sorry. Pick up on that later. <laughs> okay. Wow. Pick up on that a couple weeks. Okay. <laughs> oh, did I tell you guys? Did I tell you guys like that's not going away? <laughs> like, it's gonna echo back. Did I, actually, did I say that? My bad. No. My bad. Still surging. Still surging. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Uh, and we'll probably do a sand test and such when we get back, but we won't worry about it right now. Anyhow, oh, sure. that is. Uh, so that is the start. A uh, little slow start as we have to get a lot of had to do a lot of our like uh, our home scene stuff, or and then we had to get into our uh, like just kind of like the dump of the brief, right? Like go through the files. So hopefully next time around we'll actually see everyone start moving around, interacting with some folks, doing some research, things like that. Uh, so this one's definitely more of a tra- traditional ish kind of uh, scenario, unlike. Again, Hypoluxo was just there to like right in your face, right, right, ready to go. This one's a little bit more a slow, slow burn, as Agent yeah. Inferno might say. <laughs> I cannot believe you named your fucking <laughs> Agent Inferno. Would you rather be Agent Oregano? You know, you could have done like Agent Basil. Could have done that. Pretty decent. Basil's a pretty yeah. I even gave you Luca Brasi. Agent Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, man. Agent Salt would sound even better than Inferno. <laughs> what other, what other spices could uh, Luca Dante have named himself? Particularly ones that might show up in like marinara sauce. So if uh, if you're watching this later on YouTube, comment below on uh, what spice Luca Dante's agent name should be. Uh, that would be great. <laughs> God damn, Agent Garlic, not a spice, but you get it ridiculous uh all right so let's see let's uh let's do some final plugs and we'll get on out of here what do we got tomorrow uh we got one rink as per usual uh prior to that you can catch a few of us here over on the gnp channel grim and perilous as we're gonna be playing some forbidden lands uh but tomorrow afternoon uh was it 5 p.m central we are back to our one wing one ring ways uh as uh we are in angmar we made we literally made it to angmar the slopes of mount grom it's right there we're right there and we now get to delve into that that crazy can of beans that that's going to be uh after that monday uh we should be doing some call of cthulhu horror on the orn express that's the plan uh me melissa hopefully steven uh, i think should be in that as well uh, and then Tuesday, Stephen, what are you doing, man? Running more Forbidden Lands. The party just made it to the base of an 
active volcano and they got quite the chilly reception. Uh, so we're going to see how they navigate the politics of that city as we uh, start uh, ramping up towards the, the climactic conclusion of Forbidden Lands. Only a few episodes left. Whoa. The climactic conclusion. Fantastic. Uh, are we... Are you ready to announce what we're doing? Because I guess what we're, do, we're doing next is a little ways off still, right? Do we want to wait? Yeah, let's, let's hold off until we okay. get a like title or something. No spoiler, yeah, I, like a little... I mean, we'll tell you guys on Zoom, but we don't want to necessarily put it out there because <laughs> stuff changes. You never know. You know? I'll tell Long, but Ashley, I don't know who she'll tell. You know, That's she, fair. She, she can't keep a secret. <laughs> Long, who's next on, on, on Ashley? Do you think sure. I have friends? That's so nice of you. <laughs> Uh, what the fuck I am say I? That. Shop liver? <laughs> Loose lips. Uh, okay, I think that was because of the shade that you threw in chat about Declan talking too much. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there is a point tonight where I'm just like, God, I hope no one from Arc Dreams watching this, they're going to be so disappointed. Uh, and then it was like, then it got really good after that. I was just like, We're oh, newbies. man. Yeah, I know. When you were just like, <laughs> there was one point when Lisa calls out. And they, I wanted to crack up, but you're like, hey, girl, can you get me back? <laughs> 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 I wanted to laugh and cry at the same time. It was so funny. Oh, that's like a Mamma like, Mia moment, man. What kind oh. of shit would have 2011 Ashley have said? And that's something I would have said. Oh, that cracked me up so good. Uh, okay, what else do we got? So Tuesday for Ben Lands. Thursday, we got Die, the role-playing game. You can catch Melissa and I in that uh, as we are trying to. We are trying to get into the Sludge Factory. The certain players don't understand that we're trying to get to the Sludge Factory. But hey, whatever. <laughs> we'll not name name names. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> if you... Uh, but anyway, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for watching this. Uh, if, you, uh, if you're watching now and you haven't yet uh, followed the channel, on Twitch, please do. If you're watching this later on YouTube, uh, please also consider hopping over onto Twitch, giving us a follow, and hopping over to YouTube, giving us a subscribe. That would be great. We are going to go ahead and we're going to raid our good pals over at the Defenders of Cobalt, uh, as it looks like they are—they're uh, still playing, they're still up. Uh, so when the raid pops up, just follow along, say hi to them, enjoy the rest of your night, and come hang out with us tomorrow uh, for more of those. What are those things called? Uh, role-playing games. Well, wait, why can't I find defenders? There, I found them. Okay. Good night, everybody. Bye. Good night.